Hello, it's been a while. I just find it. I don't know. It just tickled the right part of my brains. Yeah. What's up, nerds? Hey, it's Luke and Dane, and it's the Boys Who Cook podcast. All right, guys, we're back with the Boys Who Cook podcast. Today, we're with our friend Blake. How's it going, Blake? Uh, pretty good. How are you guys doing? Oh, you know, we're doing great as always. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dane can speak for me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so Blake is interested in gen surge, and so we'll start off asking the obvious question: What drew you to doing general surgery? So it's kind of a hard question. Um, I guess actually, when I first started off med school, I was all gung ho orthopedics. Um, I've always been like a huge tomboy, really into sports, and I've had a couple of knee surgeries myself. And as I got as I went through like med school, like second year, I really liked the physiology of like general surgery and how like pertaining the abdomen, the liver and all that kind of stuff. And then whenever I actually got to do gen surge, um, I did it. It was my first rotation, second semester of third year. And I just really loved it. Um, I really love surgical oncology. I thought the medicine behind it was amazing. And then just like surgery in general, I just love it that there's that instant gratification and you literally just, you cut it out and you fix the problem. And I just love that a lot. And so that's just kind of like, drew me to it. And so by going to gen surge and not specializing right after med school, I keep my options open for what I want to do. Um, because I got to do like cardiothoracic and plastics on my surgery rotations. And I just, I love them all. So that's kind of the plan and what drew me to gen surge. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I have a, a follow up question to that. So on this podcast, we've really not trashed gen surge, but we've kind of all talked about how, how hard it can be at times. And, you know, sometimes there's like almost a toxic culture, you know, uh, at least among like certain residents, maybe in certain, you know, faculty members, um, you know, how do you navigate that. And, and, you know, did you happen to find that or, or did you feel like you blended in pretty well with that? And, you know, it was just one of those things that you might endure a little bit, but you'll be okay with. Well, ironically, whenever, you know, I've been talking to the upcoming third years that are starting general surgery and they've been texting me and stuff. And I'm always like, Oh, are you going to join, join the dark side, you know, gen surge. And cause it is, it is like this undergoing thing that, you know, general surgeons or just surgeons in general have this God complex. Um, but I've kind of find, you know, with honestly with medicine, I think to a certain extent, most, a lot of doctors can have this God complex. And I think it definitely is more emphasized with surgeons. Um, but, you know, I think from my personal experience, going back to having two knee surgeries, um, before my second knee surgery, it was on the same leg and it was about six months after my first one. And I mean, even though it wasn't, you know, like a major surgery, it's still surgery. And I just was terrified to go back through and like do surgery again. And, you know, my surgeon came over and he sat on the bed next to me right before surgery and pre-op and goes, Blake, don't worry, I've got your back. Like you can trust me. And to me, just having that experience with a surgeon who, you know, you know, we think the, like I thought the world of, um, yes, he was kind of arrogant and yes, he did have this kind of air about him, but the fact that he cared, I think is a really cool opportunity to show, to connect with patients and to comfort them. And I think that a lot of the surgeons that I got to work with were just incredible. I mean, um, our course director who's a general surgeon is just so kind. I mean, he just cares about the students a lot. There are, I mean, of course there's some residents who are a little bit stressed, but I think, I mean, you'd be lucky to find residents on a service that aren't stressed. I mean, they're working, you know, 80 plus hours a week and it's just crazy. So I think the most important thing is to one, remember that you are still human and that, you know, just because 
you know, you are a surgeon, you, you know, it seems all cool and uppity. It's so important to still put your patient first. And there's a lot of surgeons that do do that. But of course, the ones that don't are the ones that we hear about and know more about. But, you know, going back to this other surgeon I worked with, his cardiothoracic surgeon, he's been operating longer than I've been alive. Um, and he's just, I mean, he was incredible. I mean, he knew everything about his patients. He knew their families, their backstories, just everything about them. And it just made such a difference. And I think one of the coolest things is one of our patients on Valentine's Day had to have a like huge heart surgery. Like just, it ended up being like a 19 hour surgery. I mean, it was just insane. And the next day she wrote him a Valentine's Day card saying, you know, thanks for being my Valentine. You saved my heart. And he took a picture of it and sent it to me. He said, thanks for all your help. And of course, like I didn't do anything. I just stood there the whole time, just watched. Right, yeah. I think it's so cool that he, you know, that just having that connection with the patient and that, I don't know, I think it's really cool. And it's a really unique opportunity that a lot of people maybe don't get to see a lot with surgeons, but I think it's definitely there. It needs to be more advocated for and a bigger part of it. Yeah, it seems like that's what you want to do yourself. Like you want to advocate for that. So I think that's going to, you know, help you make that really good connection. Um, you know, like you talked about with the surgeons that you described. And, you know, I actually have a quick story about the the course director as well. I, I was rounding on a patient with him. Uh, it was really just a pre-op visit. You know, we were doing surgery that day. And I mean, the family loved him. And it was easy to see because he genuinely cared about the patient. Um, and he was joking around with them. And, you know, it was awesome to see. And one of my favorite things that I've like of third year is this line that he said, and he looked at the whole family and said, thanks for letting me take care of your dad. Like, I really appreciate that. And mm -hmm. I've never heard someone say, thank you for letting me take care of you. Not like that. And so, um, you know, obviously we all know that he's a super cool guy anyway, but that just made him like so much more cool. So yeah, I, I feel like if you can become, you know, like that as a surgeon, um, you'll get away from the like surgeon who throws their, uh, their scalpel across the room in the OR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's definitely those still and they're pretty terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so like one thing we've kind of talked about is, uh, you know, Luke and I have talked about how the transition from second to third year was kind of hard for us and some of our classmates, just because it didn't necessarily live up maybe to what our expectations were because there's other stuff going on, like, you know, socioeconomic factors affecting healthcare and stuff like that. What was your experience transitioning from a second to a third year? Oh, I mean, it was, I mean, to be honest, it was awful. And I'm so glad that more people felt that way because I honestly, honestly thought I was the only one because everybody, you know, is like, oh, wait till third year. You're out of the classroom. You're actually doing stuff, blah, blah, blah. But um, the first semester, I was mainly on my primary care services. So I did family, neurology, internal med, and psych. And, you know, obviously I want to go into surgery. So those really weren't my forte in the first place. But I said, you know what, I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm going to, you know, I could change my mind, blah, blah, blah. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, we say we want to be a doctor, you know, we write this personal statement to get into med school talking, you know, I bet all of us said something in there about saving lives and changing things and blah, 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 blah. And then we get to med school and, you know, we go through the grind of two years of just test every week. And then we get off and we just study this, you know, for step one, it's like this eight hour test. And we've spent the last, you know, two to three months just like hitting the grind and just studying for it. So then we're like, finally, you know, I get to actually wear my white coat, interview, and you realize that, you know, you can't, you really can't save them all. And it's a lot of like, you know, maintenance of just like chronic illnesses. Mm 
and I think it's just it gets so disheartening and then especially you know on my like neurology rotation with patients who would have like strokes I mean you can prevent from happening but there's a lot of like you know long-term repercussions and then like internal medicine like like you were saying a lot of the social work you see all these people that come from these horrible homes or backgrounds and it just it's so it's so frustrating because you just sit there and you're like man like am I really making a difference am I really doing anything and I just I dealt with it a lot I mean there was times during first semester third year I was like gosh like you know, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, am I supposed to be a doctor? Like, I just don't have that drive or that feeling I had. And I think you just kind of take a step back and realize that, you know, it's sometimes it's not so much about saving the person. Um, It's not so much about like, you're not going to just fix it one day. But I think it's just like, it's just making their life better and just working with them. And realizing that, you know, you still like, you know, even as, you know, even as doctors, we're still human. I think just kind of like realizing that and being okay with that and like thinking of a big picture is kind of what got me through it. Then obviously like when I went to surgery, I was like, okay, this is more what I want to do. But I think the transition's very, very hard because people don't prepare you for that at all. Wow. Um, Everything you said. I can completely relate to about, like the beginning of third year, even to the point where I was like, why the heck did I pick medicine? Like if I had known that's what this was going to be like, would I have like decided to do this? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, obviously I don't feel that way now, but at times I felt that way. Um, so yeah, I felt really related. I'm sure you can relate to that too a little bit. Dane. Everything you just said was exactly how I felt yeah. during the first semester of third year. Yeah, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was kind of like, what is the point of this? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah, you're definitely not alone. Like Luke and I felt that way as we just said, and then we've talked to other, other classmates that felt that way. I think everyone felt that way except the people who like started in on psych and they were like kind of chilling. Um, <laughs> but uh, everyone else I felt like had kind of a difficult transition for sure. Yeah, I think at some point you you kind of just realize and if you don't, if you haven't already, if you don't have any experience in the hospital, I think at some point there's always going to be that patient where you're like, what good did we do for this person? Mm-hmm. You know, what good did we do? It feels like maybe you didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so what, you know, what helped you, um, you know, kind of work through some of those feelings of like, oh, man, like this sucks and I don't know if I want to be here. Was it just, you know, like you said, kind of taking a step back? Like what, 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 what kinds of things did you do to kind of like help yourself through that? Well, I think like finding the right people to open up to is a huge thing. Um, Cause like there was, there were some people like in our class that I would talk to and I would, you know, say that, you know, I would ask them if they were feeling the same way. And I think sometimes as medical students in general, we kind of live in this state of denial where it's like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you know, we're doing this, we're managing this. And it's really easy just to like, get to the grind of things and not actually address how you're like feeling emotionally or psychologically. And we just kind of depend more on that part of our brain that focuses on like numbers and stuff like that. And so I think one surrounding myself with people who could be honest with me and being relatable because it's like, you know, once you open up about something, you find somebody else that relates to you. I mean, the amount of stress and, you know, sadness that you release is incredible. And I think that talking about stuff is so important. Um, you know, and just like calling it how it is, you know, being like, you know, this kind of sucks. Like, this is not what I thought I signed up for. And just being really honest with myself was a huge thing. Um, and then I think the other thing was, is just 
like what I was saying earlier, taking a step back and being like, okay, you know, because like in the big scheme of things, I mean, this is kind of morbid, but you know, eventually we're all going to die. I mean, eventually that just happens. And, but the fact that you can like prevent that and thinking more in that regard. And like, even if it's just giving somebody like an extra day, I mean, we can think of like loved ones that we care about and like, you know, if we could go back and like just spend one more day with them, like, you know, how important that would be. So I kind of thought about, thought of it that way of like, if I could just give one day back to a patient and just looking at the little picture of things, then to me, that would make more of a difference than anything else in the world. And I had one patient in particular when I was on IM and she was an older woman. And I mean, she was had like this huge family. She was very well loved and she ended up having um, stage four um, ovarian cancer and pretty much non-resectable. I mean, she pretty much was only could have palliative care. And, you know, I just was sitting there like, you know, focusing more on like she had also had really bad diabetes and stuff. So I was just trying to come up with a regimen to manage her diabetes and all this stuff. And I said, like, why am I doing this? You know, she's going to pass in six months. And I said, it's because I want that six months with her family to be the best possible. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure she's got the best blood sugar on the face of the planet. Like her hypertension's well managed because if I can just give that back to the family, then like I've done my job and that's what make that's like the most important thing I can do. Wow. That is, that's the best answer I've heard to that question on the show. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's great. I mean, that's, you kind of flip it on your head. And I, I think, you know, the essence of that is like, you know, once you get it out, you can start recognizing that you're still there for the patient. Um, even, even though you may not fix them, which is what you want to do, you know, you want to fix them completely, but the fact that maybe you can just walk with them and, um, maybe help them in one thing and give them, like you said, an extra day, like that, that changes my perspective on it. Like, mm -hmm. oh, why would I want to manage this guy's thing? You know, it's going to go, well, because I'm giving him an extra day. That's going to, yeah. man, that's going to be something I'm just going to be thinking about. Like <laughs> when I have patients that I, I, I really don't know if I'm doing any good for them. Why, why am I doing this? Because I want to give them another day. Okay, man, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Okay, so let's, let's transition a little bit here. Um, let's talk a little bit about like, what kinds of things do you like to do outside of medicine? Um, things that might lift you up and stuff, but also just like, how do you get away? You know, what are some things that you enjoy? Oh, man. Um, so it's actually kind of funny, like, especially with like COVID and everything, I've had to like, rediscover things I really like, because you know, nobody has like asked me in a while, like, what do I like to do? It's more like, how did you do on the last test? So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a huge sports person. I love sports and I'm hoping that some miracle happens and we can have fall sports in a socially distanced mask wearing way, but we'll see. <laughs> um, so that's, that's a big thing. So like, I just like, like, I like love, like hang out with friends, you know, drinking beer, eating pizza, watching, you know, football or whatever. Um, I like to be really active myself, um, like whether it's running or just working out at the gym. I think that it's just, it's such a good like endorphin release. So I'm always trying to find ways to be outside or doing something. Um, one of the things I've really gotten into recently is uh, like mindfulness stuff. I recently read this book called The Tao of Pooh. And I think it is just so interesting. And I love doing research on like, um, like kind of Eastern civilization stuff and how they like deal with like mindfulness, especially with like mental health becoming like, you know, talking about it's the new norm. Um, I've just like done a lot of like reading on that, and, like meditation. 
Um, and honestly, it makes such a big deal. And just the kind of the way you view things, the way you carry yourself. So I guess like you could say that's just like something that I've been using and getting more into to like help me with everyday things. Um, and then if I'm not, you know, trying to do like stuff like that, I mean, I just love playing games with like my family or friends and just hanging out. I think that sometimes just doing nothing is kind of the best medicine of all. Um, so like recently I've really gotten into Catan. Um, I am kind of obsessed with it. I actually played against my family last night and actually won for the first time and I don't even know how long. So that was really nice. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing you won against your family because I spanked you all the other night. Oh, I know. <laughs> I needed to look out back on that. That was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean. you know, just just rest easy because every time Dane and I play Catan, uh, he doesn't come close to, to dominating. Uh, I definitely dominated <laughs> the last time we played. Okay, maybe that, that was one time, Dane. And I dominated the time before that. Okay, two times. <laughs> oh, after that night, I was like, you know, did like the typical med student thing, like looked up, how do I get better at this? Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not losing again. <laughs> oh my gosh that's that's hilarious you know yeah. sometimes it's just the dice rolls you know like you you're like i'm on an eight and a six like where are those eights and sixes at <laughs> yeah if i see one more three get rolled <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's just kind of how it is <laughs> um and, and I have to say, the reason why I beat Luke last time is I sort of manipulated the person he was dating at the time to give me cards. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cards. I forgot about that. I don't they, really they have like a, was a point away. Like, you don't trade with someone that's a point away. Like, that's just like an unwritten rule. Don't trade with someone who's about to win. Um, yeah. Hey, I just, have, I just have a charm about me. I people, get people I just trust me. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh gosh. So, Blake, um, yes. getting off the ton stories for a moment. <laughs> um, what do you have like a funny story or a favorite moment from third year that you just really stuck in your mind? Um, yeah, I do actually. It's kind of dark, but you know, whatever. Go for it. All right. So, uh, I was on the VA neurology service and um those patients were hilarious. They were so fun. Just like a totally different, you know, generation. And I, we had this one patient and he was just so incredibly kind and he had had a stroke and that's why he was in there. And he had a stroke due to chronic, you know, AFib, you know, AFib, like his, you know, all that stuff. And so they're like, well, we need to put in a pacemaker and that's going to help prevent you from getting, you know, AFib and all that stuff. So they were going to do that. And then they, the doctor noticed that his finger was really swollen. Come to find out he had osteomyelitis. So they're like, oh, well, we're going to have to, you know, you know, they tried to do antibiotics and it works. So they were going to have to end up amputating his finger. And he's like, that's fine. Like, I don't really care. And so meanwhile, this whole entire week, he hasn't been able to eat because every day they're like, oh, you're going to get your pacemaker today. You're going to get your pacemaker today. And he just couldn't. And so now he's going to have to have surgery. So he gets surgery on his right arm or his right hand and it's uh he gets that taken care of then the next day he goes and he gets uh, he um he's supposed to get his pacemaker put in he couldn't because he was bleeding out from his right hand because he also was on blood thinners so there was just so then he had lost too much blood before surgery so then we had to wait more and again he still hasn't eaten and now it's about a week and a half he just can't eat and so finally one day it's like my last day on service he got his pacemaker put in 
and we go in to see him and he's got his right arm all bundled up, you know, cause that's where he had his finger amputated. And then he's got his left arm all, you know, bundled up and stuff because that's where they do the pacemaker wires and they don't want him like messing with it. And as we're talking to him, they finally bring in his food. And I mean, we're all so excited for him. Like, oh my gosh, like you get to eat. Like, I bet you're just so excited. You know, you get to go home tomorrow. I mean, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yep, it's going to sound good. And then we roll in the food and we like reveal it. It's like this huge reveal and ends up, it's like steaming, boiling hot soup. And he's just sitting there with both his arms, like, like tangled, like, you know, elevator, whatever. And he just goes, well, I guess that's how it's going to be. And it just, he like, and we, like, I felt so bad and he started laughing. He's just like, that's just my life. And it just, it was so funny. And we were like, so like deliriously tired and everything. But the fact that he just had a great attitude and just started laughing about it. And we're like, do you want help? He's like, oh no, I got it. And he ended up like going home with his family. His family came in later and like was helping him eat and everything. But it's just like, just the, like the ironic nature of it and just being on the neurology service. This was just like, this of course is how it would end. Um, that was probably like the funniest thing. It, it was so dark though, but I remember just dying laughing and I was like, well, so yeah. Yeah. I think if I, couldn't eat for a week and a half and so I says man you get to eat today the last thing that i would have on my mind is soup <laughs> i'd be like wanting a hamburger or like some fried chicken or something like really calorie dense and then yeah so i was like oh here's some like chicken noodle soup for you i bet he had to go pretty light like going back just yeah. to, like reintroduce like food into his stomach and stuff like, yeah 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 it's crazy man. golly that's that's pretty awesome the VA is a sad place. It's yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's sad, but it's also like it's a great, and then also so sad at the same time. I have this very like love hate relationship with it. Yeah, yeah. I remember passing you when you were on neuro at the VA because I was on medicine at the time. I passed you in a hallway, and I think I remember I was like, "Hey, how's it going?" And you're like, "Oh, ah, you know." And like we were both <laughs> like in that moment, we just kind of both understood like. Well, we both know how it's going. Like yeah, another day at the boss spa. Yeah, the boss spa. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a time. What a time. Um, so, you know, something else we really like to ask uh, people on the on the podcast is um, what else they enjoyed about medicine. So were there other rotations apart from general surgery that you really enjoyed? Yeah. Um, I actually, I really liked um, my on ob when I was on gynoc, so gynecological oncology, um, just because it's kind of up my alley. I really enjoyed that service. I loved the patients. I thought the surgeries were really cool. Um, but honestly, like the service I really liked is I really liked my psych rotation a lot. Um, I was on an inpatient service with, for kids and kind of out in the middle of like nowhere. And I don't know why I just, I think a lot of times, you know, we always think of kids like we, we don't take their mental health or things with them as seriously as maybe like adults, but just like some of the things they struggle with. I mean, it was just so eye opening just to hear their thought process and the way they think. And I think one of the, my favorite moments was there was this little girl in there and she um, had been suicidal. And so she was admitted and we were talking to her and like on the, so this was like on like a Monday or Tuesday and I got to sit in the sessions and I didn't really ask questions or anything, but the psychiatrist was like, you know, 
why were you thinking that? What are your symptoms? And ends up that she had really bad, you know, she would hear voices all the time telling her to do stuff and all these different things. And so finally they put her on the right medication and she had never been open about it because she felt like she was crazy and she didn't want to be judged and blah, blah, blah. She came from a really broken home too. And so that was on a Monday or Tuesday. And by that week on Friday, I mean, she came like bounding into the office with like a huge smile saying, this is like the first time I haven't heard voices. I'm just so happy. Like I like have my whole life ahead of me. And just like to see just like how within a few days, I mean, she went from like wanting to take her own life to like thinking about her future, which is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was just like the power of medicine was just like incredible. So. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's so cool. Like it's so awesome. I think when you get that instant gratification, you know, you give a patient a medicine it actually like helps them not just like, Oh, cool. Like that's managed, but it's like, no, I feel loads better. Like to hear someone like say something like that. That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's super awesome. So um, another question we've been asking a lot of our uh, uh, interviewees is that um, what is something in medicine that you feel very strongly about? Maybe something you've developed over third year or something maybe you came into medical school with. It could be like an issue within medicine or like a socioeconomic issue or political issue. Is there like a particular topic within the medical field that you just get really passionate about? I'm a huge um, believer in patient advocacy. And kind of what I mean by that is, so like, like over the past two or three years, I've had my own like health things going on. And I mean, I went to, I think within six months, I went to like seven different specialists and every single one of them was like, it's just stress. You're just a med student. You're just stressed or you're a woman. It's hormonal. It's get you on birth control. And I actually had one doctor, I asked him, I said, well, if it's not this, like, what do I do? He's like, I don't know. Maybe you should just quit medical school. And I was really upset. I was really angry. And then finally, so I just ignored my symptoms for about years. And then actually recently I just said, you know what, like I've had enough. And I went and I saw um, one of my friend's dads, who's a uh, primary care, he's a family physician. And I just kind of unloaded everything on him. And I said, I'm telling you, like, it's not, I'm not crazy. Like I really have this thing going on. And um, he ended up, he said, I believe you did like this very, very extensive blood workup and ended up diagnosing me with an autoimmune condition. And then he got me on the right medication and everything. I feel a lot better. I mean, I still have like really bad days, but it's consistently getting better. It just takes time. So to me, though, I I get really passionate about, it's just like listening to patients. And like, I know there's some patients we talk about, you know, it's like psychosomatic or it's malingering or factitious or whatever it is. But I mean, just like listening, I mean, just how much that one person changed my life. And like, to me, like that is just something I could like, I just go off on. So like, it really bothers me when, you know, I hear like other med students or other physicians make fun of patients and say, oh, it's this patient again who comes in with this or blah, blah, blah. They're in, I don't know, like whatever. And I just, I'm like, you know what, maybe for every five patients you have, there's three that maybe it truly is psychosomatic. But for those other two, it's a very real problem. And, you know, it's our job to listen to that because we can change somebody's life. So like, that's something I get really, really passionate about, which is probably, I think, why I want to go into surgery. Because again, like what I was saying earlier, like sometimes surgeons, you know, get that thing about how like, you know, they have the fastest rounds, they don't listen to patients or blah, 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 blah. And I want to bring that component to surgery of actually like listening to a patient, talking to them, looking at their mental health, looking at their life and just actually making a difference, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, 
Blake, you're just bringing the heat this episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, when you start speaking, I, I'm thinking of like, oh, man, I might comment on that. But at the end of it, I'm just like, no, like this doesn't need my comment. Like, <laughs> yeah, you've, you've summed it up in every way you need to be said. So here's a follow up question for you. So you mentioned that a lot of times in surgery, there is a very, uh, you know, get in and out of the patient's room, got to move quick. We've got a lot of surgeons to do, got a lot of patients to see. Have you thought about during residency and then during your own practice when you're an attending or, you know, in private practice, how you're going to try to break that mold, so to speak? Because, mm -hmm. you know, as you know, like when you're a resident, you're going to be super busy and you're going to be very stressed. And, you know, I think even for the people on the medicine side of things, it's easy to forget and not have time to listen to their patients, let alone on the procedural side. Have you kind of thought about that, about how you might handle that when you're a resident? So I really thought about it as a resident, definitely like for my private practice, like if I want to do private practice one day, I thought about it. But I think like as a resident, um, I think the biggest thing is just trying to keep the line of communication open with a patient. Because like, obviously, I mean, yeah, I mean, residents, they have a lot of patients, they have a lot of surgeries, they've got a lot to do. But I think the most important thing is creating an environment to where the patient feels like they can actually talk and communicate. Um, because sometimes, you know, there'll be things going on you know, that we don't even know what's going on with the patient because we don't ask the right questions or we don't give them time to respond. And I think that that's one of the most important things that I can do in my limited knowledge and power as a resident. Um, you know, one of the things we learned during like, you know, the first years of med school is we always ask, you know, the patient, what's their chief complaint? And then the other thing we're supposed to ask with that is like, what's their chief concern? And sometimes we forget to ask, like, you know, what are you most afraid of? Like, you know, what is it that's bothering you the most? And so I think leaving room for that question and making the, you know, patients feel comfortable enough to, like, ask us those questions, I think is one of the most important things that I can do right then. And then hopefully in my practice one day, you know, I can really sit down with the patient and talk to them more and, you know, kind of do things like that. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, no, 100%. Oh, that's awesome. All right, Blake, well, we really don't have any more questions for you. Do you have any questions or comments for us? Um, yeah, so how like how long are you, are you guys going to keep doing this uh, podcast throughout residency, or what do you think? Well, <laughs> that'd be cool. Right now, we're, right now, we're just going to see if we can get most people in the class interviewed, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, I mean, we've floated some ideas around, like, wouldn't it be dope if we could get our dean on here? Or, like, wouldn't it be cool to do some course directors? But, like, I mean, there's a difference between, like, our fellow classmates wanting to come on the podcast. And then, like, there's a difference between, like, asking a, a classmate who can just be like, no. And then asking a, a, like, a course director who could be like, why the heck do you guys have a podcast? This is stupid. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like that would hurt a lot more than if a classmate told me now. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And so. I mean, like, honestly, like, I'm super down for that. But I want to, like, focus on getting everyone in the class on as much as possible right. first. Right. Yeah. Our yeah. goal is to first get through our class. And then if we do, you know, maybe maybe being able to interview, like, I mean, something we float around is maybe interviewing our dean. And, like, maybe he could give some advice to incoming third years or something like that. And then they can maybe play it during their orientation week or something or at least yeah. it could be a resource so I, I don't know we've tossed stuff like that but i mean residency that'd be wild if we it would be wild yeah we'd be like calling in and like yeah interviewing people from different pro yeah that'd be that'd be crazy we could or or we could just be like dude how's residency and then i don't know like, <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean it's it's one of those things that we've kind of just been flying by the seat of our pants anyway so we'll see what happens like yeah 
You know, it's actually ironic because um, one of the places I'm looking at to apply for general surgery, um, they have the residents, the general surgeon residents have their own podcasts um, on like just the podcast app or whatever. And so I listen to it and I think it's really cool because I mean, they're very honest and just kind of telling it how it is in a very casual setting. And I, I don't know, I think it's really cool. I don't know how they have time to do it. I am just thoroughly impressed, but I mean, if it works, it works. So yeah. Wow. wow. That's uh, that's awesome. Maybe, maybe we will keep it up. Yeah. It, maybe. it may be rare, but we might like drop an episode here or there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my last I, question. Oh, I have one more question. Why uh, is it called the boys who can cook? Um, do, do you want to take this or do you want me to? You take it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, when we were first years, uh, Bennett, who we uh, interviewed, uh, his episode's coming out in a, a couple uh, couple weeks, I guess. Uh, he, uh, so we were, Dane and I were in our mod, and we were joking around a lot and giggling. Um, that's something Bennett's going to talk about. He's like, you guys were just giggling. And so he goes, you guys should start a podcast. And we thought that was funny, whatever. Well, that same day, uh, Dane showed me this meme, and it's, I think it's, uh, oh, dang it, what's his Dave. name? Yeah, Dave Chappelle meme. You know, it's the one where he's got, like, the white powdery substance around his nose. And, like, <laughs> you know the meme where it'll say, like, y'all got any more of them? And it's, like, whatever it is. So, like, if you want more days off. So, you, y'all got any more of them days off or whatever. Well, this meme didn't have that. It actually had, uh, like, it said, boys who cook at the top. And at the bottom, it said, peanut butter and crack sandwiches. And <laughs> Dane and I just thought that was really funny. And it was stupid. But it was right after Bennett had said the, uh, like, oh, you guys should start a podcast. And Dane showed me that. And I said, yeah, that would be the name of our podcast. We laughed about it. And then we moved on. And then when we actually, like, decided to do this podcast, um, I was like, dude, we're the boys who cook, right? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, that was it. Like, no discussion. So it's just a little inside joke. That's it. Well, I like it. That's good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we were like, was that going to be confusing? Like people are going to get on this and be like, so they're going to talk about cooking. Like, no, not at all. We just, <laughs> we just wanted some kind of name and we thought that was fun. And like, yeah, that was it pretty much. Yeah. No, I love it. I think it's great. Cool. All right then. Well, there's nothing else. This is Dane. This is Luke. And this is Blake. Signing off. Thanks. See you guys. New content for the Boys Who Cook podcast drops every Monday and Friday, so be sure to check that out. Give us a follow on Spotify or whatever app you use to listen. Thanks so much for listening. We, we really do appreciate it.